Our scripture reading is from Exodus, so we're in a new series after Easter, and it's, um, we're calling it Egypt in the Rear View, and just kind of this whole way that the book of Exodus becomes very foundational for uh, the people of Israel, and then also the New Testament church. Just a lot of what's happening here is significant, so we're on week two of Egypt in the Rear View, a look at Exodus, and Kathy's our reader. Today's reading is Exodus 3, verses 1 to 15. It can be found starting on page 54 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The word of the Lord. I'm going to say a word of prayer just as we begin. Dear God, uh, we come into this room um, from so many different places and um, different perspectives on life and on faith. Um, We might come with a lot of hurt today, a lot of struggle. We might come processing grief, whether it's new grief or old grief that's resurfacing. Um, 
a lot of us have things when we walk into this room that um, others here just will never know about. But they're things that are very important to us that are happening. And um, whether we come with difficulty or great joy, um, it is true that we are all in the same boat. We're all in need of your grace every second. But the truth is, we're a mess. And we're more of a mess than we want other people to know. And um, this story, all these stories from this book, keep pointing us towards your grace that tells us that we're more loved and accepted through Christ than we ever imagined we would be. And we, when we begin to know this, we begin to long to root our lives in this so that it actually makes a difference. So help make that happen today, wherever we find ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think, you know, walking along as a shepherd in the desert and um, seeing a bush on fire and not getting consumed, I think that qualifies as a surprise, right? Uh, And this encountering God, you can imagine if you're going to run into God, I don't know if you've spent a lot of time wondering what that's going to be like, but, you know, you can... You you never would have guessed a a bush on fire, that that was what it was going to be, maybe, but... Um, but you, you should expect, and maybe you never thought about this, you should expect it to surprise you. I'm guessing that it's going to be surprising. Um, a lot of scripture really, really this is the trick to, if you want to be a preacher ever, the trick to, to reading scripture and bringing it, kind of making it come alive for people is discovering the surprises. And um, usually they're there somewhere, there's something in there, something about God that if, if you look at it a certain way, if you understand some of the background, or if you really start to apply it to life, you start to go, wow, that is, I never would have guessed it. That's very surprising. And you don't have to look very far in this encounter that Moses has with God. All these surprises. He's a shepherd, and he's going to be sent to lead a whole people group out of Egypt and have to talk to the, the most powerful person in that nation, Pharaoh. Um, God reveals himself through a bush that's on fire. I mean, all of these things, it's just... Wow, you don't have to look very hard. There's surprises in here. And so we're going to think about uh, a, few of th- a few things here in terms of how uh, encountering God, and, and this is just a, a big, bold, sweeping principle for the Christian life and for the Bible, encountering God uh, is full of difficult and yet wonderful surprises. Three of those that come out of this story um, are the detours, the stalling, and the transformative grace. When you encounter God, consider the detours, the stalling, and the transformative grace. Let's think about detours. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever feel like your own life is on a detour. You might, you might be in that kind of place right now where you just you look at things and you go, this is not what I had planned out. This is not how I would have charted things. Um, Moses is actually experiencing a detour within a detour. Moses is very much someone we can relate to. The big detour is the fact that he's a shepherd in this far-off place from all his people and where he grew up. The little detour is as he's doing this shepherding work in the middle of nowhere, uh, the story portrays this thing that's happening, this bush that's on fire, and he has to even take a detour from the detour and cross on over some kind of ravine and go and look look and figure out what's going on with this bush. It's full of detours. Moses is, in terms of big life life issues, um, Moses basically ends up as a shepherd in this far off place because of a a mistake of passion where he killed an Egyptian 
um, in, an, in a momentary act of passionate justice to defend uh, an Israelite who was being mistreated. So he's, he's made in his past, I don't, maybe some of you can relate to this, he's made a mistake of passion. Bless you. Uh, a few other things. I mean, this is, great. This, is, this is stuff we can relate to. His life's not going as planned. He's, he's got a whole career that is absolutely nothing that was on his radar, um, even growing up into adulthood. This, being a shepherd in a far-off place, this was not what he was being trained to do. He was being raised in Pharaoh's court with the best education. Now he's a shepherd, which depending on the culture in the ancient world was often a negative kind of a bottom-of-the-scale position to have. He had married someone that he never would have planned on marrying. He wouldn't have sought after someone from, from a far-off place. Uh, and he was just located. I mean, he was located so far away from anything he knew. And I think if you take any one of those things, or maybe you just got to stretch a little bit and you'll find something you relate to in terms of detours in your life. Um... But then the detour actually becomes really important. And this, we find this to be true in our lives. For Moses, um, we don't know anything about his connection to God. It seems like there was no real strong thing going on between God and Moses up until this point. We don't really know anything about it. It's not mentioned. It's not talked about. For all we know, this is the first kind of time where Moses actually wakes up to the divine. Um, I'm guessing it was years, especially because of this major detour that he was shaking his fist at God saying, you know, or maybe even he's done shaking his fist just saying, God and me, you know, God's dead to me. And he's been that way for years. But then there's this detour within the detour and God comes alive within the detour for Moses. This is very true um, for a lot of us. Um, I've been in groups before and we're in one of them now, the group called Dive that's meeting this year. Um, as, a, as a sort of intense small group. And I think the New Begin Fellowship does this too, where you tell your stories to each other. And what do you know, but you get through this exercise and you look and, and one of the most common things is that you, as you tell your story and as people tell their stories, they point out something they never expected, some whole phase of their life, maybe years of, of disappointment or struggle. And they, looking back at that, they begin to see or they describe it as something God was doing. Somehow in the detour, God became more real. There was an encounter with God. It became an important fixture in the story. The very detour, detour itself was actually the important thing in the long run. And you start to see enough of this in the Bible, uh, in your own life. You actually begin to, um, you, you start to say, wait a minute, okay. You, know, you have this detour radar almost that you can start to have. Sometimes it takes us forever to wake up to it, but wait a minute, I, this is not what I planned. This is some kind of detour. I wonder what God is beginning to do in my life or in our life. I know, um, looking back, um, we do this thing called Intro to City Life, and it's, it's usually lunches or dinners, and a few weeks in a row we talk about the history of city life, and all kinds of, there's all kinds of time for questions. One of the things I do is I tell the story of City Life Church. In the early days of, that ch of starting this church, um, really what I never would have predicted, what I didn't plan was that there would be kind of like the first trial, and then there would be a point where we stopped and said, that's really not working, and then kind of restart and get going again. Looking back, I can see that, you know, those, I think they were every other week meetings in a basement that had no ambiance, that there was actually another service playing right above us at the same time, 
with a bass player who was kind of good. Um, and you could hear that kind of coming through as we're meeting. And there was really, it was hard to get into the building and find where we were, even if you had told someone to meet you there. I realized that, that coming to the realization that, you know what, no one's going to bring their friends along to this was a really crystallizing thing for City Life Church. Looking back, it kind of made that really important that, you know what, we want to have a place that's safe for people across the spectrum of belief to explore the Christian faith. We want to be able to invite our neighbors and our friends. This isn't, this isn't the place. This isn't the way. And so to kind of reboot and figure that out. Now, where I stand, that's so clear to me. That's so crystal clear. Then, it felt depressing. It felt discouraging. It felt awful. It felt like, maybe it's time to quit. That's how our detours are. And in some ways, you know, I have no idea what the course is uh, in the future, you know. Surprise, surprise. But but here we find ourselves unexpectedly moved to a, a new building. It's got a lot of great aspects to it for us to do the city life thing. In some ways, the four o'clock time, not sure. You know, it gets a little close to nap time and to whatever Sunday plans you have going on. I was just talking to somebody about it in the break. And yet, you know, who knows? I have no idea where this is going to go. I have no idea how two years from now when I sit down at Intro to City Life, how I'll tell the story of 2012 and what went down with having to move in November of 2011 to a new place and a new time. I don't know how that'll look. But I'm beginning to wonder and say, what is God doing? So what is it about detours? For Moses, his detour definitely, he learned humility because he went from living in Pharaoh's court with the best education, the best privileges, to being a shepherd in the desert. He learned humility, which is important for any leader to learn. And he also met God. I don't know what your detours are going to involve. Maybe it involves just finally seeing the limits of yourself. You get on a detour and it's just not what you planned. It's not the way you thought life was going to go. And eventually you just kind of have to look at yourself. Maybe it's a sudden openness to God that would never have been there if life went exactly how you had planned and charted it out. I don't know. But sometimes the detour that God creates does what nothing else can do in your life. So pay attention to detours in encountering God, but there's also the stalling. Pay attention to how you stall. I don't know if you notice Moses is stalling in this passage with his questions. God reveals his name as I am who I am and it's a very complex name and the scholars don't agree for sure on what it means. I am who I am or I will be who I will be and why he said it that way and what the Hebrew words exactly are trying to communicate, we're not really sure. It's unclear, grammatically speaking, but when you put it in the context of things, in a sense, God is saying, as Moses begins his several questions that are a lot of just stalling, God's saying, I will be who I will be. I will, I will not be who you want me to be. But Moses keeps stalling, and the way you know he's stalling is that in verses 6 through 10, when God first begins speaking to him and telling him what's going to happen, he gives him everything he needs to know. Moses, the questions he brings in the text, in the part that we read today were, who am I and who are you? Those are the, the questions Moses brings to him. Who am I that I should do this? Who are you? Who am I going to say sent me? But God's already laid it all out. In, in verses 6 through 10, he's already said, Kind of, the, He's laid out who he is. He's laid out the context of what's happening. And he's charted out the plan and explained that Moses needs to be involved. And Moses knows why. He's the, he's the missing connection for this people of Israel because he's, 
he knows you know the realm of Pharaoh's court. He can kind of he's the only one who has that who was raised that way and can do that. So he knows everything he needs to know. Um, the answers to his questions, you could say, have been given. He has all the required information, but he's not accessing it. He's not accessing it. And in some ways, this is a part of all of our encounters with God. In some degree, our stalling. Even though we have all the information we need, we're just, for one reason or another, usually like with Moses, I mean, he's terrified. Usually it's fear. He's terrified because when he left Egypt, there was, you know, the, they didn't have these then, but it was basically most wanted posters with Moses' picture posted everywhere. He was, you know, he had a, a hit put out on him by Pharaoh for what he had done. So he was terrified to go back to Egypt. And I think that's often the reason why, if you can apply this to your own life, that there's some way in which, you know, you have all the information, but you're not accessing it. Why are you not? Why are you not facing up to it? Because of fear, for one reason or another. And often it's very legitimate fear. That's what Moses has. So, um, you know, you might have you might have scripture. There might be scripture that applies to something, some big issue that you're dealing with right now. There's scripture that maybe you can even scroll and know or maybe friends or maybe if you looked it up or talked to somebody, you can find out answers for that issue. Maybe there's a group of people that you haven't yet connected with, like a community pod, or maybe you're in one, but you don't maybe share or let people into this aspect of your life, but they're there, that, that, that connection and that help is there if you just access it. Maybe it even goes back to things that you knew way back to just growing up, things that were given to you by parents or mentors that you know it's there, but you're just not accessing it with whatever issue in your life. Just to make it really concrete, 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 <laughs> concrete, um, the two big ones that a pastor will run into are sex and money. The most common ways that we, you know, we kind of know the information is all there for us, but we're not accessing it because of fear, probably for one reason or another. Um, you're afraid that you won't find the person that you really, um, you know, that's really best for you. And so in some ways in your relationships, you go for the shortcut. Um, or money, you know, the Bible talks about money more than just about anything else. It's all there. Maybe in some way you say, oh, I don't know, the aspect of giving some kind of certain percentage, whether it's tithing or whether you go with, um, if you know the character Zacchaeus who gave away half of what he had, you know, somewhere in there there's a place for you, but you're just not accessing it. Maybe you say, but, well, but that doesn't really apply to me for this reason or that reason. We can come up with a thousand reasons. It's interesting, as Moses stalls, let me just, we'll move on, but let me just point this out, a, a textual note. As Moses is stalling, he continues to do so in the parts that we, we didn't even read. It goes on a little further in chapter 3. And finally, um, God speaks to the fears that are underneath the stalling. He keeps piling, he keeps being so gracious and interacting with all the questions and all the stalling. In chapter 3, verse 22, he describes how just to try to convince Moses that he has it all charted out and how richly God will provide. He basically explains how, how successful this whole thing is going to be, that the, the people of Israel are actually going to be given all of the, of the riches and the wealth and the articles of, um, of wealth of the Egyptians as they leave their country. I mean, this is, these were slaves of the Egyptians. This is a marvelous picture. And God's saying, I, you know, you get all this fear... Would you just stop 
and access what I'm telling you? <laughs> Would you just access what I told him and what he told him from the very beginning? This is going to happen. You're going to leave. And as he said in, in verses 6 through 10, right in there he says, you're going to the land of milk and honey. So, so we stall. So just being aware of our stalling all actually helps the interaction and the encounter with God. But let's move on to the last one. So in an encounter with God, there's often detours, there's often stalling, there's also often transformative grace. Um, I wonder, just ask yourself this question. Have you pondered personally the great mystery of God's grace? Have you pondered personally the great mystery of God's grace? The burning bush, you know, a bush burning but not burning up. It's on fire but it's not disappearing. That's a mystery. And when Moses sees it, he, he says, I want to see what's going on. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. But that's actually a smaller mystery in the story because as you read on, you notice something. God declares that it's holy ground and he's on this mountain. It may even be the same, Mount Horeb may be the same as Mount Sinai, but it's definitely in the same region. And later on we learn when God visits the mountain of Mount Sinai that any person or creature that uh, touches the mountain uh, is going to face death. In a sense, God's presence is that, you know, the, the gulf perhaps between us and God is so great. So then the question in this story, God has visited, God has become present, God is there in the fire and the bush. And Moses is this, in a sense, let's just be real, he's a stalling whiner. <laughs> he's whining and stalling the real question is, why doesn't Moses burn up? Why does God tolerate Moses so long? Why is Moses allowed on the mountain? And what you see really is that already back then, the character of God is coming out. In, in the story, we see God's anger even starting to show up. It's after the part we read, but as the interchange keeps going, God gets angry. But his character is such or he reveals himself to us as such that he wants to find a way uh, that we don't burn up in a sense to put it um, in the language of the text so what's going on with God I think this is a valid question to really stop and consider what's going on with God that he is so incredibly gracious and patient with us and I, I can't say that I even know the answer to that. It's a, it's a mystery to try to figure out. But I do know that if you encounter God in that way, if you ponder that question enough and you do experience him being that incredibly gracious and patient with you, that it becomes transformative. You may not understand it, but it becomes transformative. So I, don't, I can't explain really the I am who I am statement it, uh, I won't try to be the one who says I know what that means exactly. But there's one thing about it that I know. There's one huge significance to it that um, if you read the Bible is, is absolutely clear. Is that Jesus, when talking to people who knew this story inside and out, as they argued with him, this young teacher 2,000 years ago said, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to throw at him because they knew what he was saying. 
And then that that person who connected himself in that way, Jesus connected himself with the God who revealed himself to Moses. Very significant. There's nothing else Jesus could have meant. So he's, you know, he's either a liar or lunatic or Lord, as C.S. Lewis, I think, put it. And then, so this person who said that went on in his life to do something that we begin to talk about as he, you know, he ended up dying and yet living. So here's a great mystery. He, as the New Testament writers put it, he, was cons- he, he felt all of the consuming fire of judgment of God, and yet it didn't burn him up. He was raised victorious over the grave. Because God continued to be at it. God continued to try to figure out, I mean, I don't know why. I can't explain even why, how that works, that Jesus did that. That Jesus said, I am who I am, and then he died, and then he rose. I can't explain all of that, But what I know, the one thing I know about it is that he did it so that the stalling whiners like you and me would not get expelled from God's presence. But that rather, the fire, the consuming judgment went on the I am so that you could be with God. Um, ponder the transformative grace of God take stock of the situation if you were God how patient would you be with yourself Did you ever think about that let me just close with this um, which is kind of incredible because uh, Jason just brought this song up as a new song I had run across this same hymn this week and said I have to share this as the closing uh, verse of Uh, closing part of my sermon so listen to this from the song we just sang by Charles Wesley plenteous grace with thee is found grace to cover all my sin let the healing streams abound make and keep me pure within thou of life the fountain art freely let me take of thee spring thou up within my heart rise to all eternity amen let's pray god of grace i pray that you do help us because we we can't invent an experience with you Um, but some of us need it deeply we need you so badly here's some of us at a point today we know how badly we need you and there's others of us we just really don't know we still wonder do we really need you and so each of us needs perhaps a different way of you working in our lives but would you but would you do that would you work would you reach out into our lives and draw us to yourself so that we might know the transformative grace so that we might know something about you and like with Moses and the Israelites once we once we meet you in the midst of our detours and our stalling you might bring incredible purpose to the direction of our lives an incredible redemption and forgiveness so that we can walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.